I'm Asan, and this is the 2018 preseason on the 9320 pod. I'm delighted again to be joined by Sam Lee from St. Petersburg to chat all things City. Morning, Sam. Morning, mate. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm all right. Still a bit deflated from the other night, but not bad. Not bad. We're getting there. Nearly home soon. Nearly home. How many days do you have left there before you get to come back to England? Uh, back on Sunday morning. So I'm, I'm doing the third place playoff tomorrow. Uh, back on Sunday morning. Hey. Lucky you. Um, have you had fun before we talk about? Something? Yes, mate. Yeah, it's been really good. Um, yeah, the the month's gone really quickly. It has been good. I mean, it's difficult not to have fun when there's loads of games of football on every day, um, and you know, some good people here. I'm based here the whole time, or coming in and out, and yeah, it's it's been good. And the mad thing about St Petersburg is it's all connected by bridges, so and they raise them at, between like one in the morning and five in the morning. So if you're out in town and you need to get to the island our hotels on. Uh, there's, you've either got two options, and that's take a toll road in a taxi, which takes 40 minutes, uh, okay. or stay out until five in the morning. So usually we've been doing the latter option. So yeah, it, it, has, it has been good. It has been good. It's just a shame now. England's defeat feels like, you know, in many ways, the whole thing's over. And yeah. I've, I've come back to the hotel, having gone to the game in Moscow. Everyone I was covering the tournament with has, has either gone home or was in Moscow. So I'm just kicking my heels a bit now, but it has been fun. Awesome. Um, before we talk about City, your thoughts on England's World Cup exit. Before we talk specifically about the semi, just in general, uh, how what have you made of England as a team this tournament? In general and overall, you know, I think I think they've been good. Uh, I think you know they were they were architects of their own downfall the other night. You, you could see it happening. Um, as soon as we scored the early goal, I, I thought, well, in fact, it was in, I think it's in the book, Soconomics, and I've not actually read it, but my dad mentioned it to me before the tournament. And he said there was a, a chapter on England, or at least a, a part on England, and they said, you know, we normally score early and then don't know how to manage the game. Don't know whether to go for a second one or just, you know, sit back and invite the pressure. And obviously that pressure builds and builds and then they equalise and by that time the heads are gone and then we invariably lose. So I thought... <laughs> But since we scored early, the pessimist that I am, I thought, here we go. And then <laughs> after we missed those chances, the big pessimist in me really came out then. And I, was, I, just, I just remember the City game at Burnley when, when Sterling missed the tap-in and you think, this is going to cost them. And, and it did ultimately. And I, I, I tweeted at half-time that you know, Henderson was too, queen to, uh, too keen to get the ball forward. And you know, there wasn't a lot. You know, I tweeted before the tournament as well, you know, that Guillaume Balaguer tweet. He got crit- crit- uh, criticism for during the Panama game, saying we're not good in the you know between the lines and in the channels, and I, you know I, I agreed with that as well. And I thought that came into it again against Croatia. But all that said, you know the, the Croatia defeat isn't caused to, to write off everything else that's happened this summer. You know people say England have had an easy route, but England often have what you would call easy route or winnable games, and there's not always been enough to actually. To actually go any any far in the tournament at all, and obviously we got to a semi final this time. You can't turn your nose up at that, no matter who the opposition are. That also overlooks the fact that when we were playing Colombia, everybody was like, "Oh well, that plan to finish second in the group is kind of backfired now because Colombia were difficult." And then we beat Colombia, and it was, "Oh yeah, they were easy." It's kind of that. It's kind of that thing that City had earlier in the season when people were saying they weren't tested just because they were going to teams like Leicester and West Brom and not losing and going, "Oh well, that was yeah. an easy game." So. Uh, you know, there, there were there were pros and cons for the whole 
England summer experience. But overall, I think it's been positive. Uh, I've, I've been over here, you know, I've been lucky to be here for a month and it's been great, as I've just said. But the atmosphere back home in England, from what I can tell, has been great. And it's, it's, left me, it's left me with a feeling that I, I've missed out. You know, I've been, I've been at the actual World Cup but it feels like I've missed out because I've not been back in England. And, you know, that that kind of atmosphere that the team has created is a, is success in itself. And, yeah, it's a shame that they didn't get to the final, but probably didn't deserve to in the end. But no, it's a big improvement on what we've seen before. And we've got young players coming through. This is the youngest squad at the World Cup. Southgate had his problems with substitutions in the semi, but I think he can improve as well. I think the team will improve. I want to ask you about that, actually, Sam. The, the, I've seen a lot of criticism of of Southgate's substitutions and I I, I actually saw I think it's Michael Cox who basically did a piece where he said that for 75 minutes mm. uh, yeah. Southgate had no tactical answer to what Croatia had done is that maybe not that I'm trying to dig Southgate out here but is that maybe a learning a, a sharp learning curve that he needs to go on in terms of coming into the tournament with a very very set I'm going to play three-five-two, and that's just the way it's going to be. But having almost no tactical flexibility within that, so when you get to a game like Croatia where they are so flexible and they change a couple of things, and suddenly they're all over you, is that what Southgate has got to improve on more than anything else? You think? Yeah, I think there was kind of a case of damned if you do, damned if you don't into the Croatia game because you know we were talking beforehand about maybe you can change it up and bring in Eric Dyer instead of one of the forwards behind Kane to make us a bit more solid in midfield. But it's like if you do that and you lose, then you change the winning formula. And if you don't do it and you lose, then you should have made changes. So I, I do feel a bit of sympathy for him. But yeah, when it came to making the subs, it just... I mean, Sterling was probably not the one you wanted to take off anyway. But then when he did do that, it was just for Rashford. So, it, you know, the forwards weren't getting the ball anyway. So... Why bring on Rashford? You know, he, he, he was going to struggle just as much as anyone else. You needed to bring on somebody else to actually solidify the midfield or simply just take Henderson off because, like I say, he was bad in the first half and in the second half, he didn't get much better. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure whether Southgate was, wed- was so wedded to that idea because, to be fair, for the rest of the tournament, it, it had gone well. In that case, it was a bit of a... You know, the, the substitutions didn't really affect the game in a positive way anyway, because I actually think they made, I did think they made them go worse. But, you know, he's not a coach with tons of like, experience. Obviously, that was the biggest game of his career as well. So you would probably afford him the same leeway that you'd afford the players and think that you know, he's obviously going to be the coach for the next tournament. Yeah. So I suppose we've got to believe that he can improve and, and get better with age, the same as the players can. Hmm. Well, there's no reason why he can't. I mean, you know... He seems intelligent be, enough. Such... He seems to know what he's doing. And, yeah, and he's, also, he's a... as, as much as those subs were made, sorry to cut you off, um, mm. there wasn't an awful lot on the bench. There wasn't, you know, there was no link man whatsoever to replace Lingard. And, you know, Lingard was the only man who could do that role, who kind of plays as a midfielder and an attacking midfielder at the same time. You know, Oxlade-Chamberlain yeah. would have been good for that with his improvement you know he's another player who plays under Klopp who's got like the general principles of what England wanted to do so he was a big loss but then in future you've also got the young players coming through people like Foden who start in a deep position who can carry the ball forward you've got Mason Mount who trained with them uh, and then you've also got wide players as well you know for a bit more variety because we didn't really play with wingers obviously but you've got players like Sancho who can come in and do that in future and, and Sessegnon as well so 
by the time the next tournament comes around, it's two years. It doesn't seem that far off, but you know, two years is a long time for for some of those players if they keep getting experience. You know, these young players can make a difference, and also, you know, Sterling will be two years better. Ali will be two years better. You know, Ali's only twenty two, twenty three, twenty two, I think. Sterling's twenty three, so. Um, there, there is plenty of time to improve, but yeah, as far as Southgate goes, he didn't really help himself. But at the same time, there was an awful lot on the bench that he actually could have done in terms of you know that you know the the, the positions and the, the roles that the players could carry out. Yeah, no, that's that's a fair show. I guess that it and it's it really is hindsight management. But the only thing that I kind of thought in hindsight was maybe you know maybe the move was to go to a back four and play a 4-3-3 for the last half hour and have Sterling and and Sterling plays on the right for City to play him on the right. Rashford plays on the left for United to play him on the left. Stick Harry Kane down the middle. Figure it out like that. Mm. You know, try and do something to rest control back because yeah, it yeah. did. I mean, they'll do they'll do their own. Lloyd's doing a, a proper pod on, on the semi-final tomorrow. But from my point of view, I kind of agree with Michael Cox in that we'd lost control of that game and then we just, at no point did we look like we were going to get the control back and on top of that the goals were coming the first goal was coming yeah, yeah, same yeah. for five Absolutely, minutes before yeah. it they're, they're going to score here and it was clear in extra time as well <clears throat> that you felt that they were going to get that goal more than England were so yeah no that was that was really disappointing but I guess my final question is England are in a better place than when the World Cup started aren't they? Yeah 100% I mean I remember yeah. you know with all the positivity around the the camp and all the, the media you know, the players being so open to the media up at the base up in Repina and, and things like that. You know, a lot of people were saying, well, you know, if they lose to Tunisia, then that'll all change. And Or if they got in the groups or whatever, then all that goodwill will be gone. And, you know, that was... There, there wasn't nobody saying, oh, they're not going to get in the groups. You know, it was kind of a... It was kind of possible, you know, just because of... We never knew what to expect from England. We never we never knew that... What what, what they that would definitely give us. There was, there was no guarantees that this team would actually deliver. And we were all kind yeah. of like, oh, you know, well, they, you know, they could, they could have problems and end up needing to beat Belgium in the last game to go through. But that, you know, obviously, as the tournament went on, we got to know that they're a good side. They're not, you know, they're not good enough to win the World Cup, unfortunately. Um, but they're they're a good side, and yeah, they're undoubtedly in a better position than they were a month ago. And not not least, you know, the team are, but also the fans as well. You know, they've re-engaged so many fans and people like myself. Maybe I'm just a fair weather, but people like myself who had, you know, not just fallen out of love with the national team for the best part of 10 years, if not more. And, you know, so many more people are on side now. So, you know, I think there's, there's optimism and there's, you know, there's a bit of excitement going into England games. And we've got this whole Nations League now, which will be interesting to see how that pans out. But, you know, in two years at the Euros, everyone's going to be looking forward to it. And hopefully, yeah, we, we, we can show that we definitely are better off than just a month ago. It's mad to think, you know, all this has happened in a, in a month ago. It has absolutely. Do you think that the um, the three England players who who played um, Sterling, Walker, and Stones, um, do you think that it's improved their reputations uh, this tournament? <laughs> well, I mean, Sterling's had a good World Cup. People will remember the the, the chances, particularly probably the Sweden ones. But he's had a, he's had a good World Cup. Um, but that doesn't doesn't seem to matter where where Sterling's concerned. You know. Unless he, unless he'd scored a hat trick in the final, you you probably never, never would run around, run around those those critics. So, in terms of his reputation, you know, it should it should be better. But I mean, it probably isn't. But that's not his fault. Um, and then, no, I mean, I saw tweets after the game saying, you know, Walker and St- and Stones were the ones who who committed the errors, and you know, 
though you know the error, you know Stones' error for the goal or you know, being caught out that that is what what will be remembered. But you know, I didn't realise it was him at the time because I was I was behind the goal at the other end. Uh, so, you know you, you miss things when you're in the stadium. But what I didn't miss was how good he was on the ball and how confident he looked. Um, his, his you know I tweeted again after the game before I realised the error was his that you know his passes up to the forwards he, he found the forwards more than than Henderson did. And you know you can't really overlook that either. That was his first. That was his first World Cup. It was a lot of these lads' first World Cup. Um, and as for Walker, I know mean, he's more than just pace. But it reminded me of the game against Palace on New Year's Eve when you know Zaha was attacking down the left and just Walker just completely shut him out to the point where they moved Zaha over to the other side. And I thought they should have City should have just put Walker at left back because he's so fast. He just completely nullified everything. And, so, I mean, that was a big plus for him. He, I, I thought he looked good on the ball too. Um, again, everyone always kind of seems to remember the mistakes and he, he may not be looked upon too kindly for the Croatia game. And I remember when he gave it away against Colombia, I think, when he previously looked really solid. So, I mean, it's always difficult to know. And I mean, we've immediately gone back into tribalism after this. Yeah. Out. So, I mean, I don't think... I don't, I don't think um, they would necessarily have their reputations enhanced just because of the nature of what football fandom is now but I think they've had good World Cups basically yeah and I think that was kind of my my question was mm. was was more along the lines of do you think they've had good World, good World Cups because you're right the tribalism is kind of back and when the tribalism's back then it's very difficult to uh, to kind of know what's real and what's not real um, okay I know what everybody wants to talk about so let's talk about transfers <laughs> yeah. um before we get into the uh, saga that is Jorginho, did, didn't think we were going to have a saga this summer, did we, Sam? We thought it'd be really simple and it'll be done mm-hmm. by this week and, you know, you'd be bored. Well, you won't be bored now. Mm-hmm. Um, before we talk about that, let's talk about Mares because Mares is one that is done. Um, how big a signing is that and what does Rio Mares bring to, to City? I think he brings a lot of... Premier League experience. I think he's a reliable performer. You look at the the tributes that Leicester fans have been paying him. You know they're they're saying he's the best player they've ever had. And these these you know these aren't just young fans. These are fans that have been watching Leicester for years, and they're saying he's the best player they've ever had. Um, you look at his numbers in a team that you know he he's not he doesn't fit the brief of the kind of. The general Leicester player, you know, he's not, you know, I like Vardy as a player, but he's not the ball over the top play on the counter. The kind of, you know, if you know, if Vardy played for City, you think he might struggle because he's not going to get the ball over the top, which is kind of what we saw when he played for England. Um, yeah. But with Mares, you know, you can see him playing for City. You can see him slotting in. Uh, you can see him playing on on both sides, really. Um, you can you can see him scoring goals out of nowhere, which City will need when teams defend deep, which is. Um, you know, it's 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 also what he's done for Leicester. Even though you know they relied a lot on the counter attack, there were times when you know he would just unpick a defence and score a goal out of nowhere, which again is that's going to be useful for City. And they wanted him in January to help um, um, to help with the Champions League campaign because they wanted extra numbers in there. So you and obviously, I mean, obviously, last summer they wanted Alexis Sanchez and as a pipe dream Mbappe as well. So you knew that. They wanted extra bodies, um, extra quality, obviously, but extra bodies to help with the demands of playing in all four competitions. And, you know, he's, he's going to help with that. And 
is, is maybe not like a really exciting signing. I was kind of surprised they chose to have like the, the unveiling thing yesterday because it's not like a full on, oh wow, you know, if City had have signed Mbappe or if, you know, they're, they're probably not going to this summer, but if they were to, you think, God, you could do a proper unveiling for him, you could open up the Etihad or whatever and people would come along or at least the training ground, um, the Academy Stadium. Um, so he's not like a 10 out of 10 really exciting signing, but I can see him being really effective for City. I can see him playing a big role in the team and, yeah, when he plays, he's going to be good. When he doesn't play, you know, he's going to be an option off the bench. I think it's a, it's a good deal. Yeah. Um, do you think he's do you think he's a little bit underrated because he plays at Leicester? And what I mean by that is, I've seen a few uh, I've seen a few stats doing the rounds, which seem to imply that over the last three seasons, his numbers in terms of goals or goals and assists have actually been better than Sanchez, better than Coutinho when he was here. Um, if you if you kind of put that with into the context of the fact that he was playing for Leicester as opposed to a more yeah. attacking side. Would it be fair to say that he's been a bit underrated? Yeah, I think I think he has. You're right, and I mean that. You know, a lot of that, a lot of that is based on the fact that it's only Leicester. You know, they won the league, but it was still like, oh, plucky Leicester. You know, they're still a kind of unfashionable side, and, and since then, obviously, they haven't come close to winning the league. Um, and it's they've kind of dropped back out of the public consciousness, and it's like, oh, Amara's just scored a goal again, but it's not like with the the regularity that he did when when they won the league so yeah absolutely um, and, and also in, in terms of you know him being underrated a bit and in, in terms of the signing and it not being an, a, a, a fantastically excited signing like I said before it's because he, you know he's not he's not like Sane when, when, when City signed him and he comes uh, he comes over and thinks oh I've heard this guy he's supposed to be good and you see the YouTube videos and you, you read you read blogs and articles from people who watch German football saying this kid's got what it takes and you know there's an excitement factor about that you know they're young as well and you think oh this kid's 19, 20, 21 look what he can do now look what he can do in our team and look what he can do in five or six years with Mares, we know you know with Mares, he's basically arriving fully formed but because he's been at Leicester and he's not been getting plaudits week in week out that's you know that's just been tempered a little bit but like, but like I say he, he's a proven performer um, he knows what, what it takes in the Premier League and I can see him slotting in so I can see him being a, a really big signer for City and I, it's, it's going to be difficult you know fantasy football wise we don't know which City players are going to play week in week out next year and in terms of their output it's difficult to know how many goals he's going to score because you know his goals may be spread across loads of different competitions but basically I think he's going to do his job and if he needs to go further in the Champions League which let's face it in a few months that's what we'll be talking about then it's players like Mahrez who are who are going to be needed yeah yeah, no, absolutely. I think with particularly with the fact that Sterling's had such a long World Cup as well, um, I think it's amazing that you you've got Mares there having a, having a full preseason, knowing that come the first day of the season he'll be fit and he'll be ready to go. Um, and with Leroy coming back as well, it kind of feels like even with the disrupted World Cup, maybe the attack at the start of the season won't be as disrupted as, as other sides. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, it's, it's interesting, yeah. I mean, I've no idea how the team's going to look when when they start against Arsenal. I've not found out yet how, how much time they, they get off. I know Sane's back in on Monday. He was given an extra week off. But um, Yeah. Yeah, um, Sane, Sane and Mahrez, it's, it's, it's not a bad start, is it? And then, you know, Aguero... 
it just depends how long the lads get off after you know getting knocked out in the last 16 in the quarterfinals that kind of thing but you'd imagine yeah. I mean I don't know yet I need to find out but you'd imagine they're not going to get the 30 days that the lads got from the the confeds last year because honestly there'd be you know it'd be less than half a team so yeah no 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 I mean uh, by my estimation um all the Argentinian lads uh, should be back uh, not next Monday but the following Monday because that's like three weeks I think from when they went out of the World Cup which feels yeah like, God, it's, been, see it's been two weeks already hasn't it exactly yeah. I can't see them getting four weeks the get, getting the full four weeks at least not the, those guys who went out early and you know a lot of these guys they didn't do loads and loads and loads of minutes so particularly those guys who didn't do loads of minutes as well you'd think they'd want to come back and you know, there's competition for places in the City squad. I think that's the other thing that I've been considering is that when there is competition for places, you expect those players to want to come back. Do you know what I mean? Like, after two yeah. and a half, three weeks, you wouldn't want to be coming back. To, if, you, if I was Sterling, yeah, I'd be kind of shitting it because I'd be looking at Mares and going, yeah, I'm going to come back. And if he's scoring goals and, and playing really well, I'm going to have to fight for that spot big time. So, yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see when they... Uh, when they do come back right mate let's talk about the thing that i really uh, i don't know if i want to talk about it for an hour or never talk about it um and that is Jorginho and um how this deal is potentially going to slip away from city and then following into that i want to talk about this principle that city have that they agree terms with a player and then go and try and agree terms with the club and if in the meantime the agent comes back and says, "Well, no, we've had a bigger offer," City won't walk. City will walk away from those deals. So, firstly, is that your understanding of what's happened with Jorginho? That City had an agreement with the player, had an agreement with Napoli, and that Jorginho and his agent have sub subsequently said, "We have a better offer from Chelsea, so you have to match that offer." I mean, it looked like that, but it seems that it it just seems that. It's it's Napoli who have kind of pushed Sarri towards, uh, sorry, they've pushed Jorginho towards Chelsea. Um, obviously, if Jorginho didn't want to go, then he just he would just say no, you know. So it's not like he's he's just being forced to go to Chelsea because as 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 we kind of said all along, he's got a, a good bond with Sarri, and if he went there, then it would be a problem for City, but. I didn't realise it would be a problem for City insofar as it's obviously De Laurentiis wanted, wanted him to go to Chelsea maybe just to kind of get the compensation that he actually wanted all along for, for Sarri to go because that had obviously been dragging on for a month really with Chelsea not wanting to pay and it just seems to have been unlocked with this so I mean I think, yeah, there have been stories that the agent hasn't spoken to City in the last week or so, so maybe it's also the case that you know Chelsea will pay him more money and, and pay Jorginho more money. So he's happy with that and he's just gone quiet City. But uh, it's difficult to know exactly what's happened because basically it's a bit of a mess this. And when, you know, I was on the train to Moscow the other day when all the stories were coming out that, you know, the, the De Laurentiis quotes and then obviously City briefed some of the journalists that that isn't what they'd heard and you know, they were still intending to sign him, et cetera, et cetera. So at that point, it was like, okay, now we've got a, a saga on our hands, as I tweeted, but it's a sh it was a shambles, basically. Um, so it, it's difficult to know, but the principle in general, and the principle I tweeted at the time, or, you know, not the principle, the approach or whatever, 
and that was that was whether Jorginho signs or whether he doesn't. But what they do, and yeah, and that's right. Is that as you said at, at the start, if if somebody says, "Oh, okay, is there any chance you can pay us more money on top of what we agreed?" City will say, "No, we won't. We've we've had this, we've had this conversation. We've we've had this agreement in place before. So you you're either coming to us on the agreed terms or or not at all." So it was always. As soon as he got to this stage with a Chelsea interest, mm. it was always going to be um, very unlikely, if not impossible, that they'd offer anything else. Yeah. It, do you think that City are being a little bit naive? And why I use the word naive is that... Do you think there's a... Do you think that the, the more this happens, the more it's likely to happen in the sense that other clubs will smell this as a weakness that they can exploit in City's transfer dealings. Because I believe that there's nothing better than taking one of your rivals' targets. Do you know what I mean? Because you get a player and also your rival doesn't get that player. Um, And by being so public in the manner in which they keep briefing that you know, well, we had an agreement with the agent and he's now reneging on that agreement and City are not going to be... And there's this quote that keeps coming back that they keep briefing that City no longer need to be held to ransom. And that makes for a nice soundbite, but the reality is that it's a fucking competitive market to buy footballers. And, you know, the idea that, well, we've got a deal with you. Well, that's fine. But if somebody else comes along and offers a better deal... You have to respect, the, even from the agent's point of view, that he's going to go, well, I've got a better deal here, so you should, you know, if you really want the player, you should match that player, uh, match that match that offer. And on top of that, from the player's point of view, if City aren't prepared to match that offer, it's very easy for the player to turn around and go, well, you don't want me that much. Because we're only haggling over, you know, let's say that it's two million over the life of the contract or four million over the life of the contract. I suspect for a footballer even, he's like, it's not that much. You know, I'm not asking I'm not asking for my salary to be doubled. Um so do you think there's an element of naivety at play that is going to come back and bite City in the arse in the coming years? Yeah, I mean I think there are pros and cons with it. Um because obviously well, I mean it's easy to say they could just they could just pay the extra millions or whatever. Uh they could they could up these offers and get the players they wanted um, but I mean the cons to that are you get players who are maybe not as not as committed as you thought and I mean maybe it is naive to want to only want players who are 100% committed for City and committed to playing for Pep but when you do get them then you're laughing really because you've got players who are hungry to succeed you know you've got you've got players with the right mentality to play for Pep because you know there have been players good players who Guardiola's inherited at different clubs who haven't had that mentality and need to go and obviously in the past when they signed Ibrahimovic we saw how that worked out it didn't go well at all so I suppose what they want to do is avoid signing somebody who's going to turn up and be a good player but not what it takes so I suppose it's, it's a good way to kind of filter out um, you know big expensive flops flops that you know big players who aren't suited so you know there, there's pros in that respect um I know what you mean in terms of the cons. Uh, in terms of City briefing, I'm trying to rack my brains for, for what City actually briefed on the Alexis thing because I'm not sure how public they've actually been about this stance. I mean, it's it's more the... I mean, maybe I'm wrong here. And maybe I'm, my brain's muddled after a month at the World Cup and three years covering City, but I, I'm not sure how much of it is, is briefed or how much of it is stuff that I've said 
because I, I don't generally get the stuff from the press office, uh, and mm. it's not. I don't. I'm not. I don't think City have been. I don't think City have been too forthcoming with this is this is our approach kind of thing in terms of the press office. I mean, that, that is the approach behind the scenes. That's what they talk about in board meetings, and you know, fans of rival teams say. Oh, this is ridiculous! Oh, blah blah. They're just saying they don't want to play after they haven't got it, etc., etc. But it's not that. You know, they gen, gen, they genuinely do think. You know, we only want to play as hundred percent committed. And you might think that's the officials living in dreamland, but this is what these people are like. You know, this is what this is the atmosphere at the CFA. You know, it's it's a there's a very positive outlook at City, and especially mm. especially in the boardroom, this is genuinely so how, how they, they go them? about it. So, but I'm not. I'm just not sure that filters out through the press. But like I say, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember what they were saying about Alexis because there was a big there was a big brief that day after the press conference, and I'm trying to remember what they said because they were obviously, they were saying they were offered a lot of money. I think it was kind of a he's already said he wants the Pep, so now it's up to them kind of thing. So maybe there was an element of that, but in ter- in terms of City making it public and other clubs taking advantage of that, I'm not sure they've made it too public. I just think that you know I've I've reported it and obviously on Twitter you know there'll be loads of City fans in the Etihad who probably don't necessarily know about it because they won't have seen it on City Watch they won't have seen they won't have seen me tweet about it they won't have seen you know other other people um, pick it up and you know other fans talk about it but in terms of the Twitter crowd you know the ones of us who are switched on to Twitter and know what's going on then yeah they'll they'll know yeah, it so I wonder how much of it is actually public and how much of it is just you know a small audience on Twitter relatively small. I don't know. I don't know, Sam. I, I think that that particular phrase that the club won't be held to ransom anymore is a phrase that has been used. Um, literally, those words have been used by all the the press pack who would normally get briefed by yeah, yeah, yeah. City. So it's hard to believe that somebody at City hasn't used that phrase. And my thing is, I don't mind. You know, if you if you're going to take a a stance or whatever you want to call it that's fine take the stance but if you if you brief it and you make it public to me it feels more like you're trying to take some kind of moral high ground as in a way that for me kind of compromises the football team because ultimately if you look at what's happening with Jorginho right now the next question that I have for you, which is obviously the most important question, is Fernandinho's 33 years old. Um, it's just come off the back of a, of a World Cup in which he's been scapegoated for Brazil. And, and when that happened four years ago, his form fell off a cliff when he came back to City and it took some months for him to get back to, to the Ferna that we know. What are City going to do now? What do they do if Jorginho, if, if Sarri and Jorginho are announced to Chelsea tomorrow? What is City's next move? Well, I mean, I, I think Jorginho did have his medical yesterday at Chelsea, so I think we can pretty much take that as red now. Um, I know somebody was out with some of the execs last night, so the, the, the main feedback I got from that was um, Jorginho had his medical at Chelsea yesterday. So, yeah. Um, the, other, the other thing was, and I'm not, sure, I'm not sure how much to believe this, because it sounds like the kind of thing... Not just the city people say, but just what people say when in a bad situation, they make the best of it. But the kind of vibe last night was, might not sign anyone now. Um, what, what was the thinking? What? Yeah, well, what was the thinking? Let me have a look. Um, 
Right, so someone at the club who's, who's not necessarily a transfer person, but is in those circles. Um, Mares coming in lets Bernardo play or cover uh, in kind of a number eight role, which, you know, we kind of assumed anyway, because that's what he was brought in to do last year, but the failure to get Alexis kind of meant he was shoved up front. So there's that. And then the other one is Gundogan can help out. Um, Gund- Gundogan can also help out in the number eight role, but he can play as a pivot when Ferner needs resting or, or if he's injured. And Foden will get more game time as well in that number eight role. So yeah, basically, basically all, all you get there is there's plenty of cover at number eight and Gundogan can go back as pivot. That, uh, and like I say, that's not, I'm not taking that as gospel. I'm not taking that that they're not going to sign anyone else. But when you think about it, I mean, would, would you be surprised if they didn't sign anyone else, given that, you know, Jorginho, you know, Fred and Jorginho at the start of the year, or like Fred was the main option then, and then for whatever reason they moved on to Jorginho. As far as I know, you know, United just offered more money and City did the whole thing of, well, we had a deal, if you're not going to do it, forget it, kind of thing. So then it was Jorginho, all the eggs in that basket. And I was told by like the most reliable of sources I've got before the World Cup that, you know, there's only... There's only so many players that you're going to sign this summer, and that would be Fred or Jorginho and Mares or Bailey, and then Mbappe or Hazard as that whole kind of potential marquee thing. So it was obvious that once the whole Fred thing wasn't going to happen, that Jorginho was the only one. Um, we've said before on this podcast, and I could be wrong, but I'm not having the Kovacic and Lamina names that were given to the press um, as a kind of tactic to speed up the Jorginho thing. Because, as I just said, they were given to the press. And when a, when a legit active target's ever given to the press by anyone in power at City, it doesn't happen. So why would they start yeah. dropping in names then? Um, fine, maybe, maybe the desperation of the situation means that Kovacic would be an option. But again, I know, you know, I've spoken to somebody reliable and they said, well, at the time, and they said, well, you know, Kovacic isn't, isn't the same kind of player as, as Jorginho. And I think, I think that was the kind of message you've got as well. So, Absolutely. So the only, the only thing that makes me think they will sign somebody else now is the desperation of thinking, well, we need somebody. Um, let's go and let's go and look at um, Kovacic for, for argument's sake. Or I know people are saying Weigl, but you know, again, Weigl was never never an option. You know, when there was all that talk about, oh God, it's obvious what I'm talking about here. When when there was loads of talk about, there's a very good chance that Weigl is going to sign for City this summer or whatever the wording was. That was never the case. Um, but you just kind of wonder now yeah. whether they think, oh, we do need somebody. But at the same time, if Kovacic isn't an option because he's not the right type of player, if Weigl wasn't an option because he's not the right type of player, they're not just going to go to him now out of desperation. We know, the, we know the efforts that City put in to identifying their targets. They do it at, you know, um, January, April, March at the latest kind of time. Um, then they obviously get on with finding these agreements with the players and you know ascertaining whether they're 100% committed to City or not and then they spend two or three months maybe a bit longer trying to trying to buy them so do they have that time now to do that due diligence um, it's the kind of due diligence that City often do and I'm just wondering I would, well I'm just thinking I wouldn't be massively surprised if, if they didn't get rushed into another deal because as I said before about you know the kind of Ibrahimovic thing where you end up with a, a player who doesn't fit maybe they'll be that worried about that, they'll be more worried about that than, than not getting anybody in and more worried about spending money. You know how careful they are with money now. Maybe, you know, maybe they'd be more worried about spending 50, 60 million on somebody they haven't 
they haven't thoroughly researched, they haven't you know thoroughly got a background on, they'd be more worried about that than not having people in the squad. So, I mean, I'm not ruling out another signing. I'm not ruling out them having somebody else because they may well have somebody else and they may well actually have been working on somebody else over the last month while the Napoli stuff dragged on. But I would not be surprised if they didn't sign anyone for, that, for those reasons. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like it. I think that just very briefly, if, firstly, there's no names that I've seen in Britain that, that come close to the profile that I think that City want. I think if we agree that what they want is somebody who can rotate with Fernandinho, I don't think that Kovacic is that guy because I don't think that he brings more than Gundogan does. Yeah. Um, so so you, you, I'm not sure that that's... If they were just going to do that, as you say, they have plenty of number eights and they didn't need to chase Jorginho and they didn't need to chase Fred because they could just use Gundogan in that position. The fact that they've chased a player for that position suggests that on some level, they're not comfortable with Gundogan covering that that role. Mm. Um, and then, so if you look at across Europe, even just at players who could potentially play at City, who might be, you know, linked or might be of the right quality, like the guy, the, the Serbian guy at Lazio, Milinkovic, Savic, I don't know if he's a number eight or if he's a pivot. Um, so I can't answer that, even though City have been linked with him. The lad at Leon and Dombele, who's like 18, 19, um, they've come out and said he's absolutely not going to be sold. He's definitely a, a defensive midfielder. Um, but they've come out and said he's absolutely not going to be sold. It's, I don't think William Carvalho is technically good enough. I just he's going to Betis, isn't he? Know. I saw this morning or last yeah. night, so... It's like it's like that Michelle Seri who's ended up at Fulham yeah. having been linked with everyone from Barcelona to Chelsea to City. So I don't know. It's just I personally now would very much feel like if they don't sign a player in that position, somebody at the club has made a mistake. Somebody's fucked up that. Well, the fuck up is Jorginho, just, basically. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that if they lose Jorginho, having lost, well, they have lost Jorginho. Having lost Alves last summer, having lost Sanchez in January, to then go ahead and lose Jorginho in the next window, I don't know, man. That that's you know, some people can say, you know, the one side will say, well, that's just football. You lose targets every summer, but I don't know. I'm sat on the other side of the fence right now, going, you might lose targets every summer, but there seems to be something else, something deeper at play here, and if City are trying to prove a point and they feel that they need to do this for two years to make sure that they never overpay for a player again. Well, again, that's good in theory, but in practice, you know, if PSG turn around in August and say, well, you know what? You can have Mbappe, but the price is going to be, we want a profit of, of 70 or 80 million euros. Then, you know, where's your budget gone then? Do you know what I mean? You, if you want a marquee player, you're going to have to pay that marquee price. And that, trickles down to every transfer that you do you know you can't you can't strong arm a player in a club into a valuation if somebody else is sat there going we'll give you more it just it changes the complexion so well yeah like, but like, like I say you know when, when other fans have gone oh yeah but I mean like I say within City they do have a very ideological view of what football should be and, and City is made up of very different departments but there is kind of that thread running through all of them you know it is very ideological and within the boardroom I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was that well yeah they go oh well in this ideal world we're gonna we're gonna have we're gonna have players only want to join us and we're gonna have we're gonna have players 
be so keen on signing for us that their clubs will have to accept a lower price. And, you know, in some cases that will work. But like you say, it, it, it is a bit fantastical maybe. It's, it's not always going to work. But yeah, that just seems we to be how it seen. is. Mm. Um, okay. Hey, Sam, listen, uh, I'm going to let you go. Thank you very, very much mm. for... Uh, for, for ringing him from St. Petersburg. You have a safe uh, third and fourth place playoff and have a safe flight back <laughs> and uh, we'll talk to you uh, early next week. Um, for everybody who's listening, yeah, cheers, Sam. Uh, for everybody who's listening, stay tuned. We're going to be chatting to uh, writer-director Leon Butler, who is also a Man City supporter and will be a contributor to the podcast next season. So yeah, thanks, Sam. And uh, now this is me talking to Liam. Right, welcome back. I am delighted to be joined by writer-director and also City supporter, Leon Butler. Hello, mate. Hi, hey, San. Good to talk to you. How are you, mate? I'm very well, actually. I'm very well. The disappointment of uh, Wednesdays drifting away. And uh, yeah. we, had a, we had like a film event last night to raise money for the new project. So uh, it, it kept me behaving myself. So I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty happy this morning. Yeah, I had the nice distraction of... of uh, going to bed right after England lost, waking up at 7am and getting a train to the south of France. So, yeah, it's uh, it's taken it's taken the sting away. The fact that I was able to get in a pool yesterday has definitely taken the sting away. Um, okay, look, uh, firstly, thank you for coming on and apologies. You wanted to come on for a while and it's kind of taken us a minute to get this together. But now that it's together, I'm, I'm happy that it's happening. Um, Tell us about how you became a city supporter, because for those with keen ears, they may notice that you don't have the usual Mancunian twang. The usual northern tone, no. Yeah. I'm I'm um, actually king of the Kipax back in the early 90s. I was known as Leon the Cockney Blue. Um, right. But I mean, I, but then Cockneys would question me in London now that I'm a Cockney. So, uh, but it were, it was funny at the time. But no, my my, my uh, city. Support is kind of a strange story. Um, when I was young, uh, back in, I started going to football when I was about six in 1980 to Luton Town. Okay. We were actually a pretty decent club back then. And uh, my dad was sort of well in with the club. And I used to be a junior hatter. And in 83, for the sort of older City fans, when David Pleat was doing his stupid jig across the pitch, Luton sent City down. Mm. And obviously that came two years after the cup final with Ricky Villa and Tommy Hutchison. So I was sort of, you know, I knew about City then. And, you know, it sounds ridiculous, but I liked their kit at the time. Anyway, years later in 89, a friend of my dad's got sacked by Luton. Uh, and we kind of all were like furious with the club. And two years after that, I went to Manchester and uh, a friend of mine, Andy, sort of persuaded me to get a season ticket. And then that was it. And that was it. And ironically, this does sort of make me look a bit sort of a stronger City fan. Ironically, Jim Ryan, uh, the guy who got sacked by Luton and was a friend of my dad's, he went to United. Okay. And so I sort of had United on a plate if I wanted, you know, with access and everything else. But um, who wants to do that? <laughs> and also, so what? So what year do you? What year would you say that you were uh, were brought into the Blue Brethren? A fully fledged Blue would be ninety two. Ninety two. So you know, ninety two onwards were not glory years. They were. So they were. No, there I was, mean, there's some it, tough times then. Definitely, mate. There was definitely no glory hunting going <laughs> on there. <laughs> um, well, look. Um, 
before we talk about Jorginho and Mares and 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 this week's kind of city news, um, we kind of connected because you're a filmmaker and and you released a feature two years ago, I believe, that Idris Elba starred in called what's it called, A Hundred Streets. Hundred Streets, yeah, it came out in uh, November 2016. Um, okay, but yeah, I mean that was a hell of a journey. I'll be honest with you, it was a little bit like having a Christmas present in the cupboard and you're trying to open it. And then when it when you eventually open it, it's a bit of an anticlimax because because <laughs> it, it, it was so it was so much hard work and I was kind of proud of what we made. But with a sort of fractured, we were talking about it off air, the fractured nature of the current movie industry, it's, you know, you don't release films unless they're, uh, nationwide cinema release to huge fanfare yeah. anymore, and yeah. and yet yeah, since we've been on Netflix, which was like only the other week, that's when everybody now sees a film, hmm. which are kind of absolutely financially that's kind of depressing. But ultimately, you've got to evolve and move on. And rather than sort of moaning about DVD market being dead and blah blah blah, you need to sort of move on and just accept it. And there's more opportunities because there's more content. So yeah. it, it was an exciting time of my life and it was amazing to be on the red carpet and everything else. But, you know, you, you've got to then move on. You know, people say to you, oh, that was a great achievement, changing careers. But, but ultimately, I'm looking at the next, the next job and the next project. Yeah. I mean, we have a similar path in that sense that we both, you know, gave up a career to try and write ostensibly. Um, so, yeah, no, I can, I can completely relate to that. Yeah, to the fear and to the focus that you need to be able to uh, to be able to do that and to be able to write. So, is Idris in your new project? You and him are still mates, aren't you? We are, we are. Yeah, unfortunately, um, he's it's it's a seventies Chelsea film. Um, oh, interesting. Uh, it's a true story, but no, I mean, you know, to be honest with you, it's always tempted to try and shoehorn um, different actors and and more women and you know, different ethnicities, everything else. But ultimately, it's a true story. And I think we saw it with the um, the Winston Churchill film recently, um, The Darkest Hour. Yeah. And when you try and shoehorn new ideas and new stories into an existing story, it really doesn't work. So mm. Edris hopefully will be involved in, in some way and we'll hopefully work on a couple of projects, but uh, he's not involved in this one. Okay, cool. Um Right, that's enough about you, my friend. It's time to talk about City, which is why we're all here. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Everybody uh, this week is talking about the Jorginho deal, and I've just spoken to Sam Lee, uh, and Sam thinks it's more or less done to Chelsea. Uh, he also thinks it's possible City won't sign anyone, which I think is pretty shocking. We'll get to that. Um, I want to ask you about this principle that City seem to have where I mean everybody kind of knows what we're talking about now but in a nutshell they agree a deal with the agent then they go to the club and if the in the meantime the agent tries to renegotiate the deal because they've got a better deal from somewhere else City will go no piss off we agreed a deal with you either take that deal or we'll move on um my vibe as I just said to Sam is that that's a bit naive that business is business and you know you you got to do what you got to do if you want the players would you go along with that? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I, I can see what you're saying when it comes to being naive and you want to get the best players. But I think someone 
in City's position, you know, we get kind of viewed as this sort of ultra wealthy club. So I think it's important to take the moral high ground. And I think, you know, we get stick as it is, but I think to have those principles and that moral high ground and not get involved in like a Dutch auction. You know, if mm. you're buying a house and the agent is messing you about and then the vendor's messing you about, you know, you've got to have some principles. And I think City, you know, when we first, 2008, for the first three or four years, you know, we did spend ridiculous money on ridiculous players and agents got rich. But I think it's important to have those principles and know that you don't mess around with City and a deal's a deal. And I mm. think, you know, we all wanted Sanchez last year, but ultimately, you know, he might be great this season, so I, I might eat my words. Um, but we didn't need him and we mm. don't need him. And I think Mares is a more interesting option for us. But I think it's really important that we do, we're not messed about because you know the agents out there, they're sharks and uh, we're the shark team, obviously. But um, <laughs> but we don't want to get messed about. I think it's important, but I do understand what you're saying as well. We don't want to uh, miss out on the best players, but... Yeah. Do you, think there's a, do you think there's a question about Jorginho's quality? And what I mean by that is just... You know, you think it's possible that City have got a valuation on this guy and and they're sort of going, well, he's all right and he's worth this, but he's not worth that. Yeah, I, I think that you're spot on there. I was, um, I've got an Italian friend. Um, I don't want to drop any names too much, but Luca Viali. Uh, yeah. And we were talking about it on Tuesday. Uh, I met him for lunch and and he, he does Italia, so he knows his... Um, football really well obviously after being in the game as well and he says he's a decent enough player but he's not worth that kind of money and he's not the player that perhaps we think he is mm. um, you know I said is he a bit like Pep because obviously when Pep was playing you know he was he was a really a real deep thinking footballer and really intelligent and you know sprayed the ball around because I was, I was trying to find out exactly what he is Georgino we're talking about Deschamps and obviously, you know, Luca signed him for Chelsea and he was, you know, known as the water carrier, but he was an amazing player. Yeah. And Pep was a different type of player, but, you know, he wasn't going on lung-busting runs. You know, he was quite ahead of his time. He was sort of there in the middle, very intelligent, sort of Jamie Redknapp, I suppose, a bit like that. And I was saying, well, where does Jorginho fit into those kind of players? And he said, yeah, he's decent, but, you know... He's no Fernandinho and he's no, um, he's not going to bang in loads of goals. So I was trying to sort of work out what he is. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts, where he'd fit in, obviously. Well, I mean, obviously his his um, qualities are that he's he's got a real range of passing, um, which is maybe something that Fernandinho doesn't have. Ferna, for all of his engine, um He's not necessarily a deep-lying playmaker in the way that Javi Alonso was. I think that the player that Pep wants is a Javi Alonso type of player, yeah? Yeah. Um, and that's probably why they've targeted Jorginho. But it's interesting that, that, that Luca Vialli doesn't rate him highly... Well, I'm guessing that what he's saying is that he's a good player, but he's not necessarily a player that instinctively you go, yeah, he's got the quality to go and win the Champions League with Man City. Yeah. Is that a fair thing Yeah, I think say? that's a fair thing to say. I think, you know, I was talking about the last two times we won the title, we didn't really improve 
our squad. Yeah. Obviously, I hear on the podcast the time and all the time, and that's one thing that you really want to do. So for me, and I may be proved wrong, I don't think it's a huge loss if we don't get him. But the question is, who do we get then? Who do we go yeah. for next? Because I can't think of any players available in this country um, who would fit. fit what I think that's probably about. why. I think that's probably why Sam's saying that you know City are beginning to make noises that they might not sign anybody because me and Sam also tried to think of players who potentially are at a high high enough level that they can play for City um, and who might potentially be available as well. And, you know, off the top of your head, you can't think of one. And more importantly, from City's point of view, if there was another player, I think that City are... Um, how do I say this? I think that behind the scenes, I think that they're fluid enough as an organisation that if they lose a player... So, for example... They lost Sanchez to United in January. They knew he was going to, to United from, I believe, early in January. And they began talking to Leicester immediately. And they tried to get that deal over the line. Now, they didn't get it over the line. But also, I'm guessing that they felt that they didn't need to get it over the line. They just needed to make that put that marker down yeah. to Mahrez's agent and to Leicester that we're coming. Um, and so they've come back in, in the summer and, and they've landed him. So... It doesn't feel like there's another player in that position who they will who they will jump on, but I guess that I guess that we'll I guess that we have to we have to wait and see. Um, do you think? Just a final thing on this Jorginho thing. Um, bearing in mind that Khaldun said it as well that you know they'd learned from the mistakes of previous post-title winning windows. Um, could it be argued that what he's saying there? is not necessarily just that we're going to go and sign world-class players, but also this point that we're beginning to feel, which is that they won't sign anybody. It's better to sign nobody than to sign a player who's not good enough. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's, that's... I'd agree with that. I mean, it, it, obviously, we were left short up front last season, but we scored the most goals in history. Exactly. Fernandinho's getting on. Um, I'm sure he'll retire from the, from the Brazilian team, which might help along his career. Uh, but when we had cover for him, you know, it wasn't good enough. Uh, but, you know, Pep maybe find, might find a new idea this season with the players he has. I mean, there's certainly no English players who can do that job because we saw that in the World Cup, which we don't much want to talk about now, but that creativity as well in midfield. And I know Foden doesn't fit what we're talking about, but... I don't know. I'm hoping Pep will come up with some genius idea like he did with Delph. And suddenly yeah. we find cover for a holding midfielder, which then enables Foden to play more games ahead of him. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of how that was going to work, but that's kind of the dream because, you know, we want to see more of Foden this season. Uh, I think Foden will get more games. I think that um, uh, uh, Sam said that somebody who he spoke to close to the club have said that, you know, they want Foden to get more games, which means that if push comes to shove, Gundogan can play more games from deep and Ferner can be rested that way yeah. because there is more cover in the number eight position because Foden can play there. Uh, Bernardo will have more games to play in that central role now that Mares has come in and, and, and basically taken that spot on the right along with Raz. So, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that the, I guess there is, there are some options that they can 
mess around with. But I guess my final word on it will be that personally, I'll be very disappointed if they don't sign uh, another holding midfielder this summer. I, I, I completely understand that. I mean, I know that there's mixed mixed reviews of Gundogan on this pod. Um, I do rate him, but I don't think he's found his spot yet. No. But I mean, at the same time, he's not really that player to adapt to holding midfield, I don't think. But I remember, sorry to drop names about Luca again, but I always remember him saying that he was friends with Mancini and, and Mancini always wanted to play Nasri in that role, which was really interesting. I remember that conversation. And he wanted, he, he wanted, wanted to play Nasri as a holding midfield. He wanted to push Nasri back because he, wow. because he really rated him in the team, but he couldn't quite find out where it was. And he was, he was asking Luca what he thought about playing Nasri there. Uh, Interesting. So I mean, there's, there, there are always options. Whether that suited, it didn't, you know, work out, and it never happened. But you know, I'm sure Pep has a few ideas because you don't want clutter, do you? You don't want no. high because financially you get you're under pressure. And the great thing about our squad and um, United have got so much clutter now that we haven't got the clutter, and we haven't yeah, got. And we've big actually egos. just sorry, exactly. We've just decluttered the squad as well. I mean, it it took. You know, it's taken a few years to shed a lot of dead weight mm. at, at City from the Mancini and the Pellegrini years. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess I can see both sides in the end. I can kind of see the, uh, the, the City side. I can also see my own personal support aside, which is, look, I just want the best players to, to, to come and play for City and I want the best possible chance of winning the big trophies. And if that costs an extra few million quid to get Jorginho, just... Just get him, yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah. I can understand that, especially you know, post World Cup. You know, it will be a bit of a sort of slow start, I think, for a lot of teams. And with some well, new impetus, like a player like him who hasn't been at the World Cup, that could be really interesting as well. Exactly. I mean, look, I think I think the truth is, and we touched upon it in the first preseason pod that we did. Um, there's four games before that first international break. There's four games in August, so you know, twelve points is a lot of Premier League points to be played for. Um, and I can see some weird results in those four games, particularly for the big clubs. And I think that City need to do everything within their power to make sure that they mitigate that and that they win those first four games. Because again, you know, it's a very competitive league and you don't want to give somebody else a head start. You actually want to be the one setting the pace from day dot, especially as, as champions. Percent, um, yeah. And, so this, and therefore, like you say, if it is a money issue, and like you know, I'm sort of contradicting what I've said about principles. And if we do think Jorginho can do a decent job, then obviously you want him in there because for those twelve points, you know, you can't put a price on that. And exactly. If you're setting that, you know, you're you're the trailblazers, then you know you get him in. I'm now contradicting myself. I now want Jorginho. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think. Look, I I think that the. the the conversation that we had before we started recording about what, what Luca Vialli said about him is actually quite interesting because there are a couple of people who I respect very highly on Twitter who listen to this podcast who have been saying for a couple of months now, he's not that good. That, you know, they've basically been saying he's a good player, but he's not that good. And if City are walking away, they're probably walking away because he was overpriced in the first place because of the way the market is. But they were probably prepared to just about stretch to go there because 
Pep likes him. But ultimately, if he's already overpriced and then they turn around and they go, well, actually, we want an extra five million quid on the transfer fee. And then we want an extra five million over the life of the contract. I can see why maybe City would go, well, sorry, but, you know, we'd, we'll keep that dough. And maybe, you know, maybe we don't get a player this summer, but gives us more money to play with next summer to get a player who we genuinely believe is worth that kind of money. Uh, okay. Exactly, well, exactly. And I think, yeah, that's important. Before we before we wrap this up, Leon, um, I want to ask you what you think of the Mares signing because I'm absolutely buzzing and I do feel like for a few people, I have this, I have this theory which is that whenever we buy players from other Premier League clubs, in general, everybody's kind of disappointed everybody's a bit like he's not that good we paid too much money we bought walker everybody was like he's shit he's not worth that money city twitter was basically going can't believe we're going to pay that much money for kyle walker um stones was the same thing everybody was like yeah stones is not worth it even sterling before he came in there was loads of people going i don't want him why is city going after this guy don't want him he's not that good so i've got this theory that it's just a natural tribalism thing that you know I guess it's the opposite of coveting your neighbor's wife. You don't covet your neighbor's <laughs> wife. You know, you don't want you don't want that player because you associate him with with that club or, you know, with that level. I think in Leicester's case it's very more in Mara's in Leicester's case it's very much a thing of I think for some people they're a bit underwhelmed because they feel like well he's coming from Leicester and how good can he be? Um so what do you think? Are you on my side of the fence where you're like, yeah man, I'm buzzing or are you no, more I, sort of I am kind of buzzing. I think because of the history of a you know, us being accused of paying too much money for players. I think no one would particularly argue that we're paying too much for him in this market. And also, like you say, with, with the bad buys we've had over the years, um, then I think I'm really excited about this buy because I think Mares is a world-class player. I think he's he's been amazing in a you know an average team who obviously exceeded all expectation and were an amazing season. And I think he's been, although he, players get a lot of stick, I think he's been pretty loyal. I think, you know, apart from sulking for a couple of days, he, he did a job at Leicester. You know, he could have gone after the champion, after the Premier League winning side, left them then. But he stayed and he's worked hard. And, you know, I think as long as Pep must know that he's a decent enough guy and will fit into that dressing room. But that's all I'm most paranoid about is someone coming yeah. along and upsetting the dressing room. Because, you know, again, like the England side, it's, it, they've got, City have got a great team spirit. They're all young mm. lads together. They, you know, there's a few old heads but they're young lads, they're having fun and you wouldn't want anyone to come in and spoil that. And I'd have thought Sanchez, that was a big sort of worry for me there is that you kind of ruin that, that dynamic. And I don't, Spot on. I think if Mares, he seemed, he, I mean, I don't know too much about him personally, but he seems, he seems fine. We know that the sulks might've put a few people off, but ultimately he got back down to it and, and worked hard. So no, I'm really excited. I mean, I'm questioning a little bit of where he's exactly going to, fit in the team but if Bernardo Silva had the most appearances last season is that, he had, apart from Edison didn't he have the most appearances or he had a lot didn't he Bernardo played a lot last season a lot more than people yeah, exactly. felt that he played so I, um, so I think we can fit you know he'll, he'll play whether he'll be in the very you know the, the starting best 11 I'm not sure but I, mm. I think he's, he's an amazing buyer for us and he's he's pure quality and I'm excited. He's a player that you're excited to watch on the ball. 
Which totally. Are, which again, although we did amazing in the World Cup, I can't quite get over it. We, we you know, <laughs> England could have done with someone like that. We, 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 you know, we haven't got someone who's on the ball and you're like, sort of anticipating. You know, like the days of King Clatsy. Or, you know, where you're, you're... Well, I think Sterling's meant to do that for England. Yeah, and I think he, that he had he put a chance away early, it might have been a different World Cup for him. Um, but he's, you know, we forget that Raheem's 22, 23 years old. He he will get definitely get one more World Cup. He might even get a shot at two more World Cups, depending exactly. on how, his, uh, and I think he was how brilliant. his career pans out. I did have a few arguments with people. On Brighton Beach was a big argument because everyone was just getting into him. I was like, what are you talking about? And then he missed the sitter. The bloke was like, tapped me on the shoulder. I laughed. But I was still... You should have just dead-butted him, mate. That's what I'd have done. I've got no time for Sterling haters. None whatsoever. Uh, right, Leon, listen, I'm going to wrap this up because uh, it's been lovely. And thank you very much for doing it. No, my pleasure. It's been... I'm, I'm a huge fan of the pod. I, uh, I'm not sure about to listen to myself. Like, I listen to your boy, you boys, Howard and Stefan and yourself and Steve. But I've loved being on here and... Uh, no, it's been great. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Well, you're going to come on uh, over the course of of next season, so, so it's not like it's your it's not like it's your last time. You'll be on plenty. So yeah, no, thank you very much to everybody who listened. This was episode two of our preseason podcast. We stuck it on SoundCloud. Remember, we have the ninety three twenty player. If you aren't already a member, it's four pounds a month. Uh, head over to our website ninety three twenty dot com and sign up. We do loads of podcasts. Last season, I believe that we did one hundred and thirty seven podcasts. Uh, over the course of the season all city and football related Uh, yeah and in the meantime thanks for listening and up the blues